and welcome to a festive edition of the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black and joining me, it's the three little elves to my jolly old St Nick. We've got John Anderson. Hey folks. Ian Hay. Bah humbug. Brought to you by Lem Sippy in tonight, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, I've just had the polished off a nice wee lemon one there and I've got a mug of hot orange squash like I'm at Cub Camp. No, oh, I've got I've got clockwork tangerine brew dog, so I'm 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 almost the same. Nice. Um, it's a nice beer. It's a lovely beer. Uh, and making his podcast debut, we have got Kevin Miller, a.k.a. Top of the Moon. Evening. How are you doing? Kevin, it's your first time on the podcast, so we get to ask you what club socks you'd wear if you were selected for the Barbarians. Yeah, well, my playing career didn't go terribly far, unfortunately, so <laughs> I'd probably need to go right back to the start, west of Scotland minis. Oh, that's um, good. Do you so... think the socks are still fit? No, no, I'd probably need to like, stretch them out and be so two of them together. Um, <laughs> but I thought I'd maybe do one and then I'm sure you must be able to get XL sock somewhere. So I thought I'll wear an XL sock on the other side. So that, that'd be me, I think. That's good. No, I like that. A, a nice branded an MSXL sock. They must do them somewhere, you would think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I might I might, might start making them on Redbubble. Yeah, good good plan. You can make <laughs> socks on Redbubble now. I've not quite figured out how to get the pattern right. I'll, I'll work on it. Um <laughs> If you, you want to get in touch with us on the podcast, you can email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at Cammy Black or at Scott Rugby Blog. We're on Instagram, Scottish Rugby Podcast, Facebook on Scott Rugby Blog. Uh, and we have also got the blog itself, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, um, where we post fairly regular articles when any of us get round to bothering to write something um ian also right you write you're writing regularly for for the offside line now aren't you uh yeah yeah i've got a super six again this saturday down at the air well that's assuming the the pitch isn't a swamp by now because it's been chucking it down relentlessly yeah uh, you think that gaudy reed's gonna have a field day isn't he oh he's gonna love it uh, he's uh, played like 75 minutes the last time well he played most he played how long did he play in that samoa game and he was still going strong at the end of it uh, well, so, um, you know, he's going to see he's going semi-pro, he won't be as fit now, he's, you know, he's a machine, he's a machine. Well, he, he rescued... Spend, spending his time rescuing folk, aye, exactly, that's, <laughs> that's, that that's how he's fire. getting fit now. <laughs> yeah, he's actually quite a vigilante superhero. Well, and, and no better career for Gory Reid. Uh, Kevin, how, how do people get, you've got your own blog, haven't you, and, and, and you're on the Twitter as well, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so the Twitter's at Top of the Moon GW, um, and then the blog's on Top of the Moon dot com. Um, yeah, again, it's it's not been as many articles going up, but there's usually a match preview for every every Glasgow game at least, uh, and bits and pieces going up. So hopefully, looking at the depth charts in the next week or so for for Glasgow and Edinburgh. Who was the uh, who is a lock? Was a Glasgow lock that said he was feeling on top of the moon in a post-match yeah, interview. Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, Nick Campbell. Um, first time Glasgow ever beat Leinster in Dublin uh, back in 2012 um, and yeah I think he got a bit overexcited um, <laughs> and got kind of mixed up with his, his metaphors if you like so um, but yeah it's, it's quite a, a, a good wee phrase so yeah uh, but uh, he's got a good boxing career going on now I kind of follow him on Instagram so he seems to the second career moved into boxing and seems to be doing all right at it as well. Good, good. Keep an eye on that. Um, we, we've got one little bit of news. Uh, I wasn't going to do any news, but um, as we as we've come on air, Tommy Seymour has announced his retirement from international rugby, which kind of I don't. I'll, I'll, ask, I'll start with you, John. It's kind of a bit of a surprise. He's thirty-one. You would have thought he'd have a couple of years in him. 
Yeah, yeah. I think he he's a guy who's always kind of been aware of looking after himself. And do I you think, mean do you mean um, um, it's in a sporting sense or a skincare regime? Uh, both. I mean, he's he's a fine looking chap, of course. But um, yeah, I think in a sporting sense. I mean, he talked last time he signed or re-signed with Glasgow. He talked about obviously part of the the. Um, part of the attraction was that they had obviously promised to kind of keep his game time down, make sure that he was looked after, make sure that his career um, goes on. So I think, you know, there's maybe a, a, an assumption you're not going to make the next World Cup. Again, Townsend's maybe had the conversation to say, probably Darcy Graham's first choice now, mate. Uh, you're not maybe going to start. He might not get much game time. And he said, well, that's fine. Let's go and concentrate on becoming a fullback now. Yeah, I mean, um, Kevin, do you think, I mean, is that good news for Glasgow, Kevin, that, that they're going to have a lot more of, of Tommy Seymour around? Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely is, 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 is good for Glasgow in terms of him being around. Probably prolongs his career a bit as well. You know, he's not got that, you know, both Scotland and Glasgow kind of pulling at him. So, yeah, I think it's a positive for Glasgow. I think it leaves Scotland, yeah, like, like, like Ian said, I think, you know, Darcy Graham probably is ahead of him in the pecking order now, but, you know, when you start thinking, you know, potential injuries or, you know, people go out of form, it does leave Scotland a little bit thin, you know, in terms of, you know, the backups um, and having people available who can step in, you know, if someone is missing. I love that Kevin's just called me Ian. That, is, oh, that, 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 that has confirmed the Gene Ander here. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't work out which of the two heads was talking there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I struggle sometimes. Um, if I mean, it, it's an interesting point that Kevin's got there, um, Gian. I'll, I'll say Ian. Um, we, we had a wee chat on the, the wee group chat we've got for the podcast, and Rory was kind of pointing out that if, if Maitland goes, you've maybe got Kyle Stain, you've got Duhan van der Merwe, I think qualifies in the summer or towards the end of the summer tour, Byron McGuigan. And then you've got Hog, Hog and Graham and um, Blair Kinghorn, but it's not. I mean, we're we're a whisker away from Dougie Fife. <laughs> yeah, it's um, we're not overly blessed. But I was I was a bit surprised. I thought he'd maybe you know see out the Six Nations, um, and then uh, once Duhan's ready, you know he'd obviously slip a bit further down the pecking order. Um, so it's not a, a position that we're we're overly blessed in. But uh, you know he's he's thirty one now. So he's like John was saying, you know, he's not going to make the next World Cup. So maybe it's time to pass on the baton. Yeah. Oh, well, we wish him all the best, um, and we'll no doubt have further discussion on that. <laughs> the 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 uh, depth in the back three. Uh, you'll be doing a depth chart, presumably, Kevin, in the run up to the Six Nations. Yeah, take a look at it. So um, yeah, I think there's a few areas where it's going to be interesting, but you have to hope the young players are, are coming through. But Scotland just don't seem to produce the wingers. I mean, that's why, I mean, you know, Tommy himself hasn't, you know, he was born in the USA, came through Irish rugby, you know, Visser coming from the Netherlands. I mean, next, next one's probably, like you said, Duan come from South Africa. So, yeah, the kind of, the, the Scottish born and bred, you know, there's not too many. Darcy Graham has, has been a bit of an, an outlier. You know, Blair Kinghorn playing both full-back and wing. Um, but, yeah, I think we could do with a few more Scottish born wings coming through. Be nice. Yeah, we could probably just find out what's in the water in Hoik. Um, we, we, so we, what we said we'd do because it's our Christmas special we're going to look back at the calendar year of 2019 
Um, and we're going to kind of split the podcast in two, spend the first half looking back at 2019. And then because it's 2019, so according to Wikipedia, it's officially the end of the decade, although I know there's some debate about that. Um, we're going to look back at the uh, the Tensies, the Tweenies. Tensies. Tensies. We'll look back at the Tensies um, just to see see where where we are now compared to where we were back in 2010. Um, I'll start then. I'll start then with you, Kevin. Um, what what for you was was your moment of 2019 in so far as Scottish rugby goes? There's a few options. I mean, I think the trouble was with the national team. It wasn't the greatest of years. You know, I mean, there was there was individual moments, but um, I mean, I kind of thought for for Scotland, I think. I was quite proud of the fact they were, you know, first tier one team to travel to Georgia. You know, I thought that was quite a, a positive moment in terms of, you know, us contributing to hopefully developing another, another country. But, um, I mean, I think if you were looking for a, a, a specific moment for for Scottish rugby, it would probably had to be Sam Johnson's try at Twickenham. You know, that that kind of moment of thinking, my God, this is actually happening. You know, this <laughs> this could actually be real, after the the pain of the first half down there. Um, you know, that was one of the few moments I really felt like, you know, the Scottish national team really got you kind of punch in the air this, this, this year. Um, it's been pretty tough going otherwise, but yeah, that was a kind of special moment, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I had the Calcutta Cup as well for my for mine. I think the interesting thing, we haven't, I was going to try and do an article on it for the blog, but I never got around to it. So I thought I'd just do it here. Um, there was a um, Andy Bailey, who's a regular listener to the podcast, pointed me in the direction of the Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat podcast, where Damien Hughes had been speaking on there um, about his work. And he specifically talked about what happened at halftime. And it was really interesting because it, it, what he essentially said is they went in there and said to the players, are you sticking to your three key behaviours? Which apparently are take risks and being brave, sticking together and playing with high energy. Um, so those are Scotland's three behaviours uh, that they play to. Um, and, and the players came back and said no. And then there was uh, Stuart Weir's book, which is 100 Great Scottish Rugby Moments, which has got a, a quite a comprehensive interview with Gregor Townsend about the match. And essentially, when he's revealed that he, he went away into a medical room and had a chat with Finn Russell, but it wasn't like a heated conversation um, and persuaded him just to keep doing what he was doing, but do it better. And that essentially was the discussion and the you know point. I think they said that um, the who was the line-out coach at the time, or whoever was coaching the line-out had pointed out that they weren't as under pressure as they were, and Greg Laidlaw was having a conversation with Ali Price. But the it, it's just it was that interesting thing that I think you've said, Kevin, that, that they actually kicked more in the second half than they did in the first. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, I think that was it for me, and I, I think the shame we'll, we'll maybe come on to it in a minute when we uh, talk about Scotland's year in general is the fact that, you know, it didn't really kick on from there. It kind of seems to be a bit of a shot in the dark and a one-off um, as far as things go. Um, John, you, you, you car cut a cup up there for you? It's, it's got to be up there. Um, for me, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was trying to come up with something different. So um, the Pro 14 final at Celtic Park with with Glasgow, um participating in it was was quite quite special um the the level of support the amount of amount of people that for me in the run-up to the, the game it was it was really interesting having people people you don't really speak to you know people I, I know around where I live they know I like rugby but people were coming up to you and sort of saying oh have you got tickets for the game are you going along to the game or, oh yeah I'm, I'm going along me and my husband are going along me and, me and the kids are going along there was just such a buzz about the city because of it and uh, 
it's it's the first time I've really experienced that at, for for the club game in in Glasgow, uh, and it, it was it was really really quite special. Do you think that's had a knock on effect um, in 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 the city then that that. You know, even though Glasgow lost, that there was that buzz. Has that kicked into this season, or has, has maybe Glasgow's early form not helped, John? Oh, God, the, the early form hasn't helped, um, and I think you're, you're, you are always going to be struggling to to convert those those kind of not part time fans, but you know the occasional supporters who come along when for the big events. Uh, the challenge for Glasgow and the challenge for Scotland as a whole is to make those big events more frequent and you know you look at look at the six nations you look at the amount of time scotland have sold out the stadium now um you, you could barely sell the stadium out at the start of the you know we'll obviously talk about 2010 uh, onwards later on the podcast but you'd be lucky if murrayfield was half full um so winning games does there's no doubt about it winning games brings people along to watch watch players and it helps of course that glasgow have had some of the most exciting players, I, I would say some of the most exciting players in the world, playing at Scottsdale, um, and they don't this year. Yeah. Which which is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ian, what, what was your moment of 2019 then? Uh, well, I've, I've gone for a, a brief snapshot moment, uh, and it was, it was quite a recent one. Um, it's the Finn Russell nutmeg try. <laughs> <laughs> because, I, honestly, I think I've watched that about 40 or 50 times. It's just absolutely glorious. You know, I don't think it ever has. Has anyone ever been nutmegged before on a rugby pitch? It's just, it's the measure of Finn Russell. You know, the, nobody else in the world would have the balls to try that. And he's, yeah, it's, I've just, I, I love that little bit of play. It's genius. Yeah, is it possible to frame a, a, a gif of a try and put it on your wall, or have it by your bedside? Ian, <laughs> have you tried? Uh, no, but that's, uh, that's that's an idea. I'll, I'll suggest that for about a Christmas present. <laughs> Was there not a picture of Owen Farrell with lots of Finn Russell fan yes. picks? <laughs> yeah, yeah surely he, he'll have that one up as well. Uh, that's 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 now my uh, Facebook cover photo. <laughs> <laughs> Was that? Um, was that? Do you think that was made all the sweeter then because it was against Munster, Ian? Yes, because I'm not a fan of Munster. <laughs> Bunch of kick and clap merchants. <laughs> did, did you see Munster or Edinburgh there? <laughs> Ooh, getting the digs in scenes for the West Coast boys. Um, yeah. uh, I think in terms of teams I don't like, it's Munster or Ulster first. Munster, I think Munster first, then Ulster. How, what, what's your view take on that then, Kevin? Yeah, I, th- I think we're... Strain in the dangerous territory here. <laughs> I don't know. You don't have to answer. <laughs> do not send you letters, Kevin. It's, it's me. Okay. It's me that gets the letters. <laughs> oh well, that's all right. You see what we like. <laughs> it tends to only be the Welsh. So you find we're insulting the Irish. It tends to be the Welsh that get quite touchy when we when we mention them. Um, we will maybe. Well, I mean, it's might be worth. Um, I'm, I'm skipping around the order here, but. Um, Maybe kind of looking at the, the the overall performance of the pro teams. Then um, Ember season, um, John, you and I kind of briefly talked about this uh, last week on the panel. It was actually yesterday. But I'm, I'm straining to say last week because it doesn't go out till next week. Uh, last week on the podcast, yeah. Um, that they, you know, they've started this really this season really well. But maybe that yep. it's been a mixed bag overall, almost the opposite to Glasgow, and that they had a, you know a poor start to 2019, but maybe a, a better end to it. Yeah, that's exactly what we were we were saying last week slash yesterday. Um, they're 
their end to last season was garbage and they they really for me they totally underperformed and I was quite scathing of them uh, I was quite disappointed I thought it was a massive backward step for them this year they've come out absolutely firing they've got they've got some they have got some very very talented players and they've got players who are playing they've, they've also got some very limited players who are playing you know we talked in the past about guys like Grant Gilchrist who is when he's good he's very very good um at club level but it's you know at international level he's perhaps not he's just not got it um it's fine write me letters i don't really care <laughs> um, but um you know they've got those guys those kind of club players you know they got the guys in the center your johnsons and guys like that they're just playing out their skins just now and i really i hope that they can continue it just i hope they forget about it for the next kind of month or so <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the Grant Gilchrist and Ben Toulis. I think what we've said, I've said in the past, is that they, they, they're very good club players and occasionally have a very good game at international level, but they don't do it consistently enough. I, I think it was in you know, when Johnny Gray has a bad game for Scotland. It's not a terrible game. It's no. just not as good as his best. Um, Kevin, what, what, what's your take on Embers twenty nineteen? Um, fairly, fairly mixed bag. I mean, do you think sort of Richard Cockrell's kind of starting to, to produce something do you think there's definitely something building there it feels yeah i mean I, I, the kind of the thing for me at the, i guess at the start of the year was the contrast between you know the league form when they're they're maybe going deep into their squad a little bit um you know they lost to the kings away you know maybe had a the hard a hard uh, time with some refereeing decisions in that game but i mean it still wasn't a great result um and then you compare and contrast that with you know a couple of weeks later you know they're Beating Toulon away, they're beating Montpellier, Murrayfield with the first choice team out for those games, you know. So it, it felt like last season he'd, he'd kind of got to that stage where he had a really strong first choice, you know, twenty three even that he could put out. But once you started digging into the squad, you were starting to struggle. Um, whereas he's obviously started this season, no Scotland players available. Um, fair enough, he's got a couple of his big names like you know Schumann and you know Vandermeer are, are there all the time, but. You know they've been going deep into that squad. They've been bringing in players from the sevens, and he's been getting good production out of these guys. And and that's really what's going to help them keep this going. You know throughout the entire season. You know rather than just being able to put it in for like six big games in Europe. You know, um, and probably not having the Champions Cup as well. Maybe is going to help a little bit because he's going to be able to bring his. He's not going to have to concentrate his his best resources on that tournament. He can maybe put a little bit more on the accent on the Pro 14. But yeah, I mean I can certainly see them. You know they'll, they'll definitely be in the the playoff mix, and and they should really be looking to push for, you know, at least getting a, a kind of home, you know, playoff match, and and maybe even you know pushing right up to the top and getting the home the home semi final. Yeah, I mean it's interesting in terms of Edinburgh's depth. You almost feel like it's maybe taken Richard Cockrell a couple of seasons to get rid of the dead wood around Edinburgh. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not. I don't think we need to name names, but it's the, the he's talked about when he came in there being a lot of guys that. You know, were were basically coasting guys that would turn up and drive from one end of Murrayfield to the other just to go to the training pitch from the changing rooms. And it's maybe taken that long just to sort of jettison that. Um, yeah, well, I think as well, like uh, having Matt Scott and Mark Bennett back because they were you'd expected you'd have expected them to be the first choice pairing last season, but they were injured for most of it. So the likes of Dean and Johnson kind of got 
um, flogged. But uh, you know, obviously Johnson come from sevens, but he, he performed probably better than expected. Um, but yes, I, I suppose the Deadwood uh, one of them got released recently. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's no way to speak of Daryl. Scotland's uh, greatest <laughs> ever prop. He probably is in terms of his win ratio. <laughs> what was it? What is it? What's he on? Sixty-six point six six percent, I think. Well, we decided the other night, Cammy, that he won against Elbacks as well. Yes, he did because the Scotland were winning when he left the pitch. So actually, he's got a hundred percent win ratio and a hundred percent win ratio on the pitch. Yeah. There you go. King Daryl. King Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Um, go ahead, Ian. Carry. We interrupted sorry, you rudely. No, no. Yeah, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, but I think one thing, like, obviously, they had a, a malaise sitting at Edinburgh and they had not been performing well. Um, but Richard Cockrell, quite a scary big dude. Um, so, you know, he's he has, he's, he's got rid of uh, some of the deadwood and, you know, he's he's recruited wisely. Um, I can't really think of a player he's brought in who hasn't performed. You know, Aroni Sow's looking good uh, this season. Um, obviously Barkley's been injured a long time but he's a canny operator and then you've got guys like George Taylor and Luke Crosby in the lake that have come in um, so you know they've, they've got real strength and depth especially in the sort of back row and centres area um, yeah. so well like, but like John was saying let's just hope that they, uh, they they have a sort of they hit a rough patch over the next couple of weeks <laughs> no, to be fair it's, it's always it's usually the other way about that Edinburgh normally need the result at this time of year so I mean, I'm not speculating that, that that anyone could get involved here, but I think Glasgow really need the points. So if we could just make that happen, that'd be perfectly fine. My my dream yes, is well, my absolute dream for this is for that first game at Scotston for them to do a proper WWE entrance for Leon and Nakarawa when he when he <laughs> just the name him name him as trialist on the team sheet. <laughs> Lights go out, smoke. Yeah, don't send them. Don't send them to warm up with the rest of the boys. Pyrotechnics, everything, and then some sort of, like, some sort of like WWE theme as he wanders, walks on the pitch. Yeah. Just have him out in the the, the centre circle, just uh, you know, Kane style flames. Oh, could you imagine it? Get him on in a mask oh, and whip it amazing. off. Amazing. <laughs> maybe he could walk in in a Brian Alunuesi mask and then whip it off. So. Um, yeah, Jeremy, again, you're welcome to all this. <laughs> yeah. We won't charge for that idea. Um, I'll, um, I'll, I don't know if I'm going to take you on to happier top, topics with this, but I mean, Glasgow's um, season, um, I, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. Do you think, Kevin, I mean, this is an interesting question. Is it, did Glasgow progress? Has it been a progression at Glasgow, do you think? I mean, it's, it's, they made it to a final, but that they didn't win, um, albeit a home final, regardless of what Leo Cullen said at the time. But they still couldn't get past the quarters in Europe, even though they were... I mean, I know there's no, no salary cap in Europe, but, you know, they were against the cheating Saracen side. But do you think... Do, do, do you think there's any signs of progress at Glasgow? Or is it kind of just tinkering around the edges? It's difficult. I mean, I think, you know, you've had generations of that team coming through and... and... 2014-15 was was obviously that peak. You know, you had some of these guys at the absolute height of their careers. You know, Nakarawa, Matawalu, Vandermeer. You know, and some of these guys obviously are back, but you know they're older now. You know, maybe not quite the same players, but still still good quality. 
the the kind of end of twenty nineteen, the twenty eighteen nineteen season. I mean, I felt they're kind of pushing on. They were so kind of dominant against, you know, they can basically dominate against everyone bar the very cream of European rugby. You know, you've got Leinster and Saracens there who stand out, uh, you know, kind of head and shoulders above everyone. You know, potentially only the kind of, you know, maybe look at the Crusaders and Super Rugby, you know, maybe you've got the three, probably the three best teams, you know, club teams in world rugby. And when, you know, up until the, the summer, that was really the only teams that, that Glasgow lost to in 2019. You know, they lost their first game of the, the 2019 against Benton, but after that, their three losses were two against Saracens, one against Leinster. You know, they went to Leinster away, you know, they came back with a tri-bonus point. You know, they basically they put 50 points on Ulster. So it kind of feels like they're at that stage where they're, you know, good enough to beat, you know, pretty much anyone apart from the very elite teams. And it's just how do you actually take that step, you know, without, you know, you know, some massive investment or do you need to bring in star players or the problem is if you're just doing it through young players, it, it takes time and it, it's just building that up and building up to that next stage. But it's a big, big step to take. You know, you look at the kind of the production line lengths that have got, it's not like you can kind of see, you know, 12 months down the line lengths that are going to drop off any. I know Saracens have got their issues, but they've still got a squad there that anybody would be jealous of. So it's how do you take that step to, to get past those two? I'm just not quite sure, you know, if you don't have deep pockets, I'm not quite sure how you do it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. Do you, do you think that Glasgow are capable of that, John? Do you think because of the the way that the professional rugby is structured in, in Scotland that it's, it's they, they might, I don't want to say fluke it one year or, you know, hit a good year, you know, just hit a run of form and maybe you know get a couple of good results going their way but it's maybe a hard ask for them to do it consistently unless there's some fundamental change unless they get a sugar daddy i guess yeah um sadly no i don't think they can um i think and the last few years for me have have proven that so you know you ask the question how do you make that next step to beat those big teams um losing your world-class fullback to the English Premiership is not how you do that. Losing your star fly half to a French team is not how you do that. Um, not replacing either of them. Admittedly, Adam Hastings has come through and is looking, you know, a very, very good prospect. But you know, we've we've not invested in that team. We've we've relied on young players, and and, that, and that's been Dave Rennie's kind of um, ethos throughout. You know, he's, he's rewarded guys who show commitment to the club and show um, show that they want to you know, want to progress as players. Um, I really feel since so since the start of this season, I I've felt Glasgow have felt really stagnant and really um the kind of, it feels like, you know, we're counting down the minutes till Rennie leaves now, which is a real shame because for the first two seasons, um I, I love the I love the way Glasgow play under him. But it just it feels really stale now, uh, and I don't know how we change that. Yeah, I mean, is that the issue, Ian? That that Rennie's maybe shown faith in guys that are committed to the club, but that that that's only going to get you so far if you've not got guys that can have got that you know extra bit of magic or can pull something spectacular off. You, you know, you're always going to stagnate at some point. Um, yeah, cause I always feel that you know. Uh, even the best teams, you can always make a team better. Um, 
or even just uh, like you were saying with Edinburgh, maybe a Malaysia set in. I think that's possibly the case at Glasgow because, you know, if we, like John was saying, if you look at um, when you had Finn Russell uh, with Adam Hastings as his backup, that's real strength there. Uh, and now what's the options? It's Adam Hastings, Brandon Thompson, who started the season really poorly. His confidence looks shot. And Pete Horn, um, who had an absolute shocker the other week. Um, yeah. And who we, you know, we all know my feelings about the Aura 10. Brilliant at 12. Right, really good at 12. <laughs> but um, I, I, do, I do think uh, the team's just getting old. Uh, and people, you know, it's the opposition, all the analysis that goes into it, they know every player's weak spot. You know, if you've got somebody who can throw a little bit of magic in or somebody who can just change things up, um, you know, that's always beneficial. Uh, but I do think there's a, a serious lack of, of star power um, and strength and depth is, is feeding fast. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll move on to, to happier top topics. Um, I mean, the... Um... Player of 2019, then for, for for you, John. Who have you gone for player of 2019 in Scotland? Ah, uh, so yeah, I've I've went for George Horn. Um, I think uh, Horn has uh, obviously had a breakthrough season um, previously, and his form in 2019 has he's just continued to be everything that I love in a scrum half. He is so energetic, so quick. Um, obviously, you know it's a ridiculous amount of tries he scores, but he is just such a confident player, and he seems to be. Every time I watch him, he's better than the last time I saw him. Which um, for for a young man like him is, you know, you can't really ask for much more than that. So for me, yeah, he's he's been by far and away, and I I would I would go as far as to say that you know if you're picking on form, he's he's he starts the Six Nations as your first choice scrum half. Yep, it's in good. I mean, do you think this? I mean, Kevin, do you think there's still an argument for for Greg Laidlaw? He's not announced his his intentions for the future. John and I were speculating on last week's podcast that he might not, <laughs> just so he can have a free trip back to Jed uh, every every few months, just to spend some time with the squads. But do you think uh, do you think it's Price and, and Horn now? I think so. I mean, I, I could see if, if if you know Laidlaw doesn't want to to retire yet, if he wants. To, to go on I mean I think there's still a bit of room you know I don't think we need to have a complete clear out ahead of the Six Nations I think it probably does need to be phased in over the next you know 12 months 18 months just to to allow the the kind of guys who are coming into bed in a little bit and not just kind of suddenly dump them in there with you know you know a complete lack of experienced players um but I think yeah you'd want to probably start Horn you know Laidlaw would battle it out then with Price for the the bench spot um I mean, he may want to come back. He's got a bit of a, a record on the horizon. If he plays in the, the Six Nations, he, he'll beat his uncle and become the oldest scrum half ever to play for Scotland. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he is. I mean, even at the World Cup there, I mean, he's 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 quite experienced. You know, he's quite that's quite an age to play for a, a scrum half. You know, most scrum halves don't make it to that kind of to that age at this level. So, you know, he's looked after himself, and he you know he's still playing at you know a good level. And he is still a very consistent performer for Scotland, but. Yeah, you'd want to see Horn, I think, starting in there. Um, but yeah, possibly Laidlaw still on the bench. It's interesting because Laidlaw was quite—I don't want to say quite old, but he wasn't that young when he got his first cap, was he? Was he twenty, mid twenties? 
2010, was it? His first yeah, no, t- 2000 and well, he was definitely in. I think he was named in the wider squad for the 2011 World Cup. I don't know if he got his first cap under Scott Johnson. I'll do yeah, some. I'll do some. I'll do some digging while we're talking. Uh, Kevin, who who have you got for your uh, your your player of 2019? Well, yes, yeah, so I'd actually. I'd, I'd kind of done all, all three, you know, Glasgow, Edinburgh and Scotland, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rattle through them on, on, yeah, on yeah. level two over the top. But These pros, honestly, <laughs> <I> like. <laughs> Turn it um, up with their notes, John. Preparation, I honestly. I <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think George Horn's a good shout. I mean, 12 tries in 20 games, you know, during 2019, you know, for, for Scotland and, uh, sorry, for Glasgow um, and another kind of four for, for Scotland. So, I mean, he's he's had a pretty extraordinary year. I mean, for, for Glasgow, I think he probably would be, you know, if I was picking one guy. I mean, I think I'd want to mention Rob Harley. Um, I mean, during 2019, so far, Glasgow played 24 games and Rob's played in 23 of them. You know, he got he got a week off against Zebra, you know, earlier or last month. That's the only game he's missed in the whole of the year. Um, so he's been incredibly consistent for, for Glasgow, whether he's been playing at lock or at blindside. Um, for Edinburgh, I could only look at one player and that was... You know, I know Duhan van der Merwe gets a lot of the attention, scores a lot of tries, but I think Pierre Schumann has been, yeah. you know, far and away Edinburgh's best player. Again, you know, Edinburgh played 22 games, he's played 21 of them. You know, in a position like pro, where you're taking the pounding that you do, to be that consistent, you know, to, to be available, you know, and playing all those games. Um, and I think what impressed me about him is not just this kind of scrummaging work. In fact, I looked at his, his stats and, you know, He's making double digits for for carries and tackles every single game. Um, he's he's kind of averaging that across 2019, so he contributes around the park as well. It's not just his set piece work. Um, I mean, I think the, the thing for Scottish rugby they're probably going to be regretting they didn't get him in 12 months earlier. Yeah, I mean, he could have been capped next year. It's going to be 2023, I think, before he will be eligible. Um, and that's assuming South Africa don't suddenly realise you know, there's a bit of a jam there. Uh, yeah. So he's, so he's 25 now, so we're going to be getting him... I mean, to be fair, 28, 29 is still kind of prime prime age for a prop. Yeah. That's about the age we got now, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he might have even been older. 30, maybe. Not sure. Who knows? Who who else have you gone for then, Kevin? So for Scotland, I... I I'll not jump in on, on the guy you, you've picked, but um, I just wanted to mention, I think, Sean Maitland, probably, yeah. um, you know, throughout, you know, what's been a, a kind of up and down year. He's just one of these players that he just doesn't tend to, you know, put a foot wrong. You know, he just kind of does everything. And he's maybe not as flashy as some of the other guys. You know, maybe the highlight reel isn't quite as long for, you know, some of, compared to some other players, but he's just been very consistent and very solid. And, when he's not been available, we do miss him. You know, you kind of notice the difference there. You know, and I think he, he makes other players in the back three, he allows them to play better because they can kind of go and they can just, they can freestyle a bit because they know he'll fit in and he'll, he'll cover for them. So um, he's an important player and I'd, I'd like to make sure we definitely don't, you know, can at least keep him going for another couple of years, I would think, um, before we start phasing someone else into that kind of role. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he'd probably be my my pick for kind of Scotland. Uh, no, I, th- I think that's I think that's a good shot. I think the um, the the Sean Maitland one's interesting. I think he was probably one of well, I think definitely one of Scotland's best players in the World Cup. Certainly one of the most consistent yeah. across the, across all the games. Um, Ian, have I done you yet? Who have you gone with? Um, well, seeing as I couldn't pick the one you're going to mention, uh, <laughs> I've gone with because well, the one you're going to say he has been best Scotland player this year. But um, I'm going to go with Darcy Graham. 
Uh, he's really brought a lot of energy to the back line. Um, you know, how, how many tries he scored this year? Was it five or six? Um, but he's, you know, the, I mean, when he first broke into the, the Edinburgh team and people were saying, oh, he's a bowler for the World Cup, I think all of us were in agreement, like, no chance. He's not going to have enough, he's not going to make enough impact. He's not got enough time to transfer. He's, you know, from sevens to fifteens, but he's been a real find um, for a guy of his stature. He defends incredibly well. Uh, he's lightning fast, um, and you know he, he seems to bring a real energy to to everything around him on the pitch. He uh, hits he hits more rocks than some forwards as well. I still don't understand why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's scrappy, do <laughs> plus he's sat in a throne of Englishmen, so that's <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, that's the win. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. Um, I've gone with Jamie Ritchie, um, which I think by the sounds of it, everyone else wanted to go for as well. It's just cause, <laughs> because I do the agenda, I get to choose first. Um, yeah, I, it's just been, you know, I think it's the fact that we didn't miss Hamish Watson for the part of the Six Nations he was out for kind of goes to show how well Jamie Ritchie has, has, has done this year. And, he, you know, he's kind of come out of the World Cup as, again, one of you know Scotland's standout performer in the World Cup. Um, and it, I, I, what I like about him is he's not shy when it comes to on-field niggle and we've not had that from a player with his skills before we've had players that that get involved and aren't you know aren't, aren't, aren't sort of backwards and coming forwards and I'm thinking of Ryan Wilson but it, it's not often we've had a player that matches that with a kind of the kind of skills that would intimidate an op- opposition as well it's all very well, you know, Ryan Wilson getting winding players up on the park, but I, I don't think he necessarily winds them up with the way that he plays rugby. I think if you combine the two, you look at the the kind of we set to that Jamie Ritchie had in Japan, and he was obviously irritating the hell out of the Japanese players just with the way he was playing. But to back that up with kind of, you know, I'm not advocating violence, but you know, grinding an elbow on someone's neck, it doesn't look pretty off the ball, but. We've not had players that have been prepared to do that before, and most other top teams do have people that will, you know, have a wee bit of a dig and make people aware that they are on the pitch. Not that I'm advocating uh, foul play, of course, or violence of any sort, but you love. You're kind of like going against your own rules here, Cammy. You're like, it's like Batman using guns here. This is not good. <laughs> All I'm saying is, you love to see it. Now and again, <laughs> I'm just thinking about. I'm thinking about. You know, what, like Alan Wynne Jones slapping Johnny Gray's ass. We've got no one that would slap someone's ass in a in a ruck. <laughs> you know, and I kind of feel that Jamie Ritchie. That's that's the role that J- Jamie Ritchie would do. And I think you know, you back it up with it. You know, that play. You know, playing in an irritating way and just getting in people's faces. That's what we've been lacking. I think from a Scotland that's point of view, want. that is what that's you want. You, that's what you want from a back rower, especially. You know. I mean, they're always at the cold face. You, you need them to be hard, and he, he's he's a hard little man. Yeah, and I think uh, you can. I mean, you think about it, you. You could name if I gave you any other team in the northern hemisphere, even the southern hemisphere, and you could name me an arsehole in every single one of them. But I don't think any other supporters of any other team think that we have any arseholes in our team. Apart from Ryan Wilson. But, apart uh, from Ryan Wilson, but I don't. But not in the same way as being an arsehole and also also kind of yeah. being, you know, good. That's yeah, bad, but you know, like you know. Remember, there was an uh, interview with uh, Rob Harley last year, and Tom English. Uh, he said, "I can't remember if it's one of the coaches who was talking to, but he overheard some Pro 14 coaches saying who, what player did they least like facing?" 
and it was Rob Harley just because he has that also that kind of just hit every breakdown, annoyed a hell out of people, um, and not not through mouth and off, just through his actions, just being an absolute pest and slowing ball down and, and really getting up people's noses. Yeah. Um, and Jamie Ritchie's got that. Jamie Ritchie's about twenty three. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to be Scotland captain uh, within the next five years. Yeah. Undoubtedly, and I think when you know he matched up really well with Magnus Bradbury in particularly in that J- Japan game. Um, so it's good. I mean, you, you know, going at the the Six Nations, you're probably looking at Richie Watson, Bradbury, Ferguson, or Thompson. You know, to, and that's before you even get to what's behind that. So it's not you know you can understand why John Barkley's retired because he's you know he's left yeah. left those positions in fairly safe hands. Yeah, Sam Skinner as well. When's when's he due back? Is he- I think he's fit. He's, I think is he not fit now? Is he playing again? I think he played. I think he was playing. Was he not the other week? Was that another Skinner? Was it? It may well I, be. It may well be. I, it can't I, be that I long. I don't think it was that. I don't. I don't think he can be that. There was a suggestion he might have been back towards the end. You know, in the knockout stages of the World Cup. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, um, okay. I've got something. We'll go on to villain of the year then. Um, I, I've gone with Mark Dodson. Um. <laughs> Just, just mainly because of his behaviour at the World Cup, and we, and we did a whole podcast on this. But you know, when you look at the report that that come out, I mean, essentially Scotland now have no friends in in world rugby, and we're completely isolated. And um, you know, essentially he's brought the union into disrepute, and there's been very little uh, sign that anything's been done about it. Um, I think with the, the governance review coming in is interesting. I think it needs some. I don't think there's enough trust there. For him to be the one that drives that through, I think if he was if he was going to do the proper thing, he would step down and say it's time for someone else to take this to the next stage, and that not be him, because I think he's run his course. So that that's my villain of the year, uh, Kevin. Who have you gone for for villain of the year? Uh, I, I couldn't really think of anyone who really kind of wind me up. So um, I thought maybe. I'd give it to Ali Price, um, and the reason being for scoring that early try against Saracens, because I think he just pissed them off, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of took out on us after that, so maybe if he hadn't scored so early, they might have been, might not have been quite so wound up, but yeah, um, yeah, that was a, a chastening moment. It was good for good for about kind of 90 seconds that game, and then it uh, went a bit downhill after that, unfortunately. Nah, don't poke the cheating bear. Uh, <laughs> um, John, who have you gone for for Villain of the Year? So, I, I was going to go for for Gus Pichu, um just for for just for no apparent reason other than he's he's Gus. Yeah, just you know we've we've had quite a few sections dedicated to him in this podcast over over the last year um, for just generally being an empty. Um, but there was there was obviously a, there was a late a late push. Obviously, you know um, a certain company knew that we would be doing this and they wanted to to really get their get the reward here so uh, I'm going to nominate Premier Sports uh, and in particular Peter Stringer for his uh, just nonsense the other night uh, and and the Irish commentary we covered it on the previous podcast but um, yeah Premier Sports are my villain of the year they did give you they have given you a cheap deal though John so it can't be all that bad yeah I know but (laughs) yeah I know I'll give you I'll give you I'll I'll, I'll allow it Uh, Ian your villain of the year um, I've opted for Leo Cullen for his pre-final comments because it's not like it's not like we could do with any more sectarian division here in Glasgow, is it? Um, no, I just thought it was I thought it was really underhanded, snidey, and 
dangerous. Um, I know he came out and apologised, but you shouldn't say that kind of thing in the first place, I don't think. No. Um, so, yeah. No, it's fair. Him. Him, yeah. Um, I mean, oh, the, the last thing, I think we've done, we haven't done Scotland yet, have we, about Scotland's 2019? We've kind of touched on points of it. Um, Kevin, you kind of said it, maybe a mixed a mixed bag, do you think? I mean, I've gone for poor overall. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's just there was a few results where you kind of thought you should have been able to do better, you know, with the kind of resources we've got now. You know, so I think we, it was 13 games in the year, one six drawn, one lost six. Um, but you felt like, you know, you kind of think Wales at home, they really, I don't know what it is about Wales, there, there seems to be this kind of mental block, but they just never got going. I mean, granted, the Welsh defence is, is excellent, but, you know, it was too easy for them to shut shut Scotland down and then, you know, they went over to, to France for the twice this year, you know, and, and neither occasion looked like really giving them a game, unfortunately. And that was that was a bit disappointing given, you know, where France were and them being a bit fragile, you kinda of felt like if you'd kinda of got into them early and shaken their confidence you could have come out with wins in those games. You know, we seem to to be the team that they managed to build their confidence against, you know. Um so yeah, it just felt like there was opportunities there and it could have been a, a much better year. Um and then you would have been going into that, that kind of crucial game against Japan with probably a bit more confidence and feeling like you'd had a kind of stronger year. So it kind of all built up to that point, I think, and um, and just that was the, the kind of the, the icing on the cake, unfortunately, that, that probably t- tipped into a pretty, a pretty disappointing year in the, the international scene. Yeah, I mean, John, John do, you, do you agree with that fairly poor? I mean, do you think that's execution or coaching? Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I'm just looking through the results just now, and uh, aside from the sort of uh, like the, the the first game of the year, the Italy Italy beat them thirty three twenty. We were quite far ahead, and we let a couple of tries in, and that kind of set the it kind of set the precedent for the rest of the year. We conceded lots of tries. Um, lots of early tries. We were seemed to be on the back foot in most of these games, uh, and yeah, uh, unfortunately, I mean, for me, it does come back to coaching. The personnel haven't changed dramatically. Uh, I don't think the game plan has really evolved either, and there does seem to be some issues defensively. We we concede a lot of tries and. Uh, you do have to kind of yeah. There's players executing a system, but that that system's kind of broken if we're conceding as much as that. Yeah, I think the the worrying thing when I read the the one of the things in Stuart Weir's book when he talks about the Calcutta Cup, Cup moment was that um, Matt Taylor was happy at half time because of some of the defensive set pieces they put in. But given we were like what, 31... 31-7 down. It's not uh, that's not a time for a defence coach to be happy, regardless of whether or not you've had a like, ten minute spell of good defence or not. It's like giving a goalkeeper a, a man of the match when they've lost nine nil. It's you know because they made a mental. couple of good saves. Yeah, because they made a couple of decent saves because it wasn't twenty. You yeah. know, oh, well, the penalty. Well done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Considered nine. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, Ian. What I mean, your assessment of a fairly poor year for Scotland. Uh, I'm not even saying fairly poor, poor. Um, you know, the Six Nations, fair enough, like, we did have a bit of an injury crisis. Uh, but, like John was saying, we, we do concede far too many tries. We didn't. I don't think we looked as dangerous this year either. Um, I thought some of the execution uh, uh, was, 
was, was lacking sorely, and it, and it just seems to be that you know we're constantly just looking for Finn Russell to do something incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was a very poor year. Um, you know, the it's the manner of some of the defeats, like the, like you guys were saying as well. You know, the the capitulations to uh, France, especially in the Six Nations when they were playing really badly, and their confidence must have been at sort of rock bottom to go over there and then just not perform at all. Um, the game against Ireland at the World Cup, there is not, there should not be a twenty-six point gap between us and Ireland when you consider how you know closely the club sides are matched, um, and also how that Six Nations game went. But again, that was us shooting ourselves in the foot by gifting them tries, um, and also uh, Roman Platt completely um, dismissing that Peter Romani challenge on Hog, which. I think it was a penalty all day long and probably a yellow card. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, a poor year. Um, yeah. And something's good. If, if the Six Nations is poor, then I mean, I, I really worry for Tooney. Yeah, well, I was good. Well, that's my next question. I, I kind of just came up with this as we were about as I was setting up. But predictions for twenty twenty, I've gone with. Now, this is I'm not saying this is needs to happen. This is just my prediction. I'm saying a new national coach by the end of the autumn. If things don't go well. Because I think if you have another season like that, I don't think it's just the backroom staff that will change. I think there will be people will people. I mean, people have already started to ask the questions, but those are the people that are, you know will reach for the tinfoil hat at the, <laughs> at the slightest excuse. Um, but I do I do wonder if if Scotland have another poor Six Nations and a, a particularly a poor summer and maybe a difficult autumn and they've got some. Hard fixtures coming up, you know. It's particularly in the summer they've got a way to the, the, the first team off the blocks to play world champion South Africa back to back, and then New Zealand, and then you've got New Zealand back here, and then we've got uh Japan and who else got in the autumn? Argentina, no, it's not easy, it's not an easy run. We've not got an easy year in terms of fixtures. And I we, think... said, we said we said on our review podcast after the World Cup, Cammy. We said we said exactly that. If if we have a bad six, I I I would go one step further. I think if we have a bad Six Nations, you'll be looking at a new national coach for the summer tour. Yeah. Good. That's interesting. That's that's your prediction, John, for twenty twenty. Yeah. Ian, your prediction for twenty twenty. Uh, it's Scotland. Who knows? Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're just consistently inconsistent. Um, Especially with the the backroom changes, obviously Danny Wilson's going to be moving at the end of the year. We don't know what the situation with Matt Taylor is, um, but I, I I'd go with what John said. Depending on how poor the Six Nations is, if it's really bad, if it's like a one-one kind of deal, I think Tony might be for the job. Yeah. But I, don't, I hope not, because um, you know I think the way that he wants his team to play rugby, I, I like that. You know, I like the fact that we try and be entertaining. But if you're going to have a soft spine, you know you need to do your basics right first, your fundamentals. You know, not miss your tackles uh, and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's dangerous. There's also a perverse part of me that wants to see Richard Cockrell in an international press conference up against Eddie Jones. <laughs> um, Kevin, what's your your prediction for 2020? I know I've sprung this on you. I don't know if you've got any in in, the, in your back pocket. Well, I. This actually, this Six Nations seems so hard to call with. You know, you've got teams in, in Fox with new coaches coming in. Um, I think you have you mentioned on Twitter, it looks like Johnny Sexton's going to be missing from the start of Ireland's campaign. So it's, it feels like a strange one to call because you don't really know 
how these teams are going to respond to the, the new coaching setups. And you've got, you know, Italy or Green going to have a new coaching setup. Um, you know, the French coaching setup's pretty fresh as well. So it actually feels really difficult to call. And it's one of those ones where you kind of feel like it could be a total disaster or we could maybe take advantage because, you know, we are a bit more settled. Um, but yeah, I think we need to lift the performance level from, from this year. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's targets there and I think most of these teams, they know what they need to do. Yeah. To go out and beat these, you know, Wales and Ireland, Italy, France, even, you know, England's maybe a different matter depending on how, you know, if they're playing their, their top of their game, but, you know, they know what they need to do um, and they need to be able to go out there and execute it and, you know, the coaches need to give them the best opportunity to go out and execute it to the best of their abilities. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting year, I think, uh, Scottish rugby-wise. And before we move on to the, um, we'll do a quick review of the 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 tennies, as we as we decided, I think, earlier in the podcast. Um, <laughs> Kevin, you you've done a, a kind of play your cards right stats quiz for us. Yeah, all right, okay, if you want. Oh, we're doing a quiz. Yes, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> Except I'm not going to allow dead air. I'm, I'm here this week, John, so I'm going. <laughs> I'll fill. Are, are you are you singing over the top of it? Who knows? I'll hum. Um, <laughs> I think I'll pick. What we'll do is we'll pitch you. We'll pitch you and Ian against each other. Is that how this this would work, Kevin? Or you just want us to shout out? Yeah, no. I, th- I thought if we could get the the two headed monster, can uh, can compete. There's no there's no trophy, unfortunately, but uh, you know you can. You can compete to see who's the superior half of the kind of G and Hander here. Um, so it's, if, I, I don't know, maybe I'm showing my age here, but if you remember the, the game show, play your cards, right? Yep. So it's going to be nice and simple. You're, you're guessing higher or lower. So whoever's in control of the board at the end of the game is going to be the winner. So you want to kind of take charge and, and get things right. So just to, to kick us off, to decide who gets to, to go first, um, what I want you to do is, is to pick a team from the Pro 14, um, and it's you're looking for the team who you think scored the most tries so far this season, and this is including European games. So I'm, I'm chucking out Leinster because they're way ahead of everyone else, but if you can both pick a team, um, and this will decide who goes first. Okay. Do you just, just want to tell you? Yeah, just shout out. Cheaters. Oh, I was going to say cheaters. Uh, do I have to? I'll pick a different one in. Um, Quickly, Ulster. though, Ian. Munster. Yep. Ulster. 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 So, yeah. yep. Cheetahs, 30 tries. Ulster, 33 tries. Oh, Oof. come on. Okay, so, uh, so 33 is your starting point. Okay, and start number one is. This one's a bit of an unusual one. So I'm looking for the, the body mass index of Glasgow hooker Mesu Dolokoto. So he's the new Fijian signing. Um, he's officially the shortest man in the squad, if that's a, a clue for you. But I'm looking, what's what's is the number for his BMI higher or lower than 33? So your, your average BMI is sort of maybe sort of like, is it 24-ish or something, isn't it? So, ah, I think that's a healthy, a healthy BMI. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with higher. It is indeed. His, his BMI is thirty nine. Um, so is that like the is that like the anti Bruce Lee? Yeah. It's, so he's he's the shortest player in the squad, but he's one hundred and fifteen kilograms. So he is. Yeah. Uh, is apparently the BMI of the moon. Yeah. So apparently a, no, a normal weight for his height is between fifty four kilograms and seventy three kilograms. So he's more than double the lowest. Times yeah. the man. I'm looking forward to him getting on the pitch, to be honest, because he, he looks like some unit. So, uh, okay, so yeah, you keep going. Then you're you're right. 
So the next stat, number of games played by Blair Kinghorn for Edinburgh while he was a teenager. So do you think that's higher or lower than 39? He broke in quite early, didn't he? Uh, I'll go with higher again. Oh, uh, right again. So 58 games uh, as a teenager. Considerably higher, yeah. Yeah, see, He's played 84 games already for Edmund. He only turns 23 in January. So, yeah, he's going to break some records, I think. Okay, uh, so next that is the number of points scored by Jade Conkle for Scotland. Is that higher or lower than 58? This was our stat stat event calendar the other day. So, if you've been paying attention to the Twitter feed, Ian, you should get this. uh, Yeah, it's lower. It's 40 or 45, isn't it? Uh, 45, spot on. Yep, nine ties in 40 games. So. Yep, keeping control of the board here. Okay, next one. Number of drop goals scored by Dan Parks for Glasgow. Is that higher <laughs> or lower than 45? Oh, uh, lower, I'll go away, sort of 30 odd. Yeah, it was 26. So, um, yeah, incidentally, everybody else in the entire history of Glasgow has combined for 23 drop goals. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got more than half the drop goals ever scored for Glasgow. Uh, okay, next one. Career tries scored by George Horn. So this is Glasgow and Scotland. Um, is that higher or lower than 26? 26. Uh... He scored that many against Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so many. He's, he's got a bit. Is he got five, six for Scotland, I think. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit higher. It is, yeah, 30. So, yeah, 24 for Glasgow and six for Scotland. So, 30 tries in 57 games. John, you, you wanted to play at any point, John? Or... <laughs> you know what? I, this is actually, it's all a game plan here. And uh, what That's I intend to do... Like well, you're going to feel like the last question and then I'm going to k- take control of the board and win by default. That's <laughs> a good tactic. Okay, next one. Uh, going back to Edinburgh again. So, I'm looking for the tries scored by for Edinburgh, sorry, by their first choice front row of Schumann, McAnally and Nails. So three players combined. They've played 305 games. So have they scored more or less than 30 tries? I'm going to go with less. I'm afraid you're wrong. It's oh, 35. Oh. Oh. So John can John, swoop in there. John's sniping. Go. Okay, so my next one is the age of the oldest player ever to debut for Glasgow Warriors, uh, Danny Harrington. So this is going back a bit, but was he older or younger than 35? He was younger. He was older. He was Ah! 39. 39? 39 when he he debuted for Glasgow. Yeah, quite a remarkable guy. So back to Ian then, I guess. Um, okay, so we're looking for the number of games played by Stuart Hogg for Glasgow in his last two seasons at the club. Is that higher or lower than 39? Lower, because he's injured quite a lot. I'm going to say 28. Yep, it's actually even lower. It was only 21 uh, in his last his last two seasons. Um, okay, next one is the number of matches played in his career by Rob Harley against Leinster. Is that higher or lower than 21? It is just 24. Um, in fact, Glasgow played Leinster 25 times since Rob started in 2010. He's only missed one of those games. Okay, we've got two more to go, so it's getting tense. Um, so, number of tackles made by Johnny Gray against Leinster at the RDS in April. Is that higher or lower than 24? Uh, that, was, that was higher. It was 43, wasn't it? Or... That's at 43. So, this is it. This is for the win or for the loss. So, 
is the number of under twenties championship world championship players for who have gone on to win full caps for Scotland. So the, the under twenties age grade started in two thousand and eight. Um so since then how many players have gone on to win full caps for Scotland? Is that higher or lower than forty three? Oh, oh this is forty two. I'm gonna go slightly lower, I'm gonna say like forty. Wait before you give the answer. John, what's your what would your answer have been? Uh, I was gonna go higher. Go on then. What what's the answer then, Kevin? It's forty five, so John is the winner. Yes! Yes! You snidey little Get it <laughs> up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that feels good. I, I would just like to thank everyone who believed in me. Um, <laughs> everyone who forgot that you were actually on the podcast for the length of time that Ian was in control of that game. Uh, see, it's not about possession, it's about end product. It's That's right. Playing the playing... final on Sunday. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, you're kind of like the Tim Visser of the podcast, just kind of sliding in to pick up the glory. He's Dutch now, though, so we don't mind. <laughs> um, I mean, we're looking back at the decade. I mean, I, th- I think the question I posed to you was how far have Scotland come in 2010, and I was looking at the the Six Nations, and I'd I'd forgotten that that Six Nations in 2010 felt like a turning point, although it turned out not to be. Um, it was almost <laughs> like it was almost like kind of the. Um, the end of something rather you know sort of the, the end of something rather than the beginning of something but you uh you, you know we had a that mad game away to wales a win a win away to ireland with that dan parks pen you know swerving penalty where he kind of curled it out and then in again almost showboating i think uh draw that that really dire draw with england at home and it was fairly good shift against france as well i think um when i I tried to find highlights, I couldn't, but the match reports kind of said Scotland had it, and it's, this was the year of the killer bees as well. But when you look at them, I mean, you've only really got, well, you haven't got any survivors now, because you only really had um, John Barkley um, then. Uh, but Richie Gray's still, still plugging along. He's true, that's true, he's still kicking around. Um, Rudy Jackson. I know. Anyone know what Phil Godman's up to these days? Just been brilliant. Been world class. Been world class. This was post-world class Phil, of course, because it was Andy Robinson era. Scotland um, so we I mean uh, for, uh, how far I mean Kevin I'll start with you how, how, I mean I mean, obviously Scotland have come a, a fairly long way since 2010 I would I would say obviously, almost unrecognisable in a way yeah I mean it, certainly the, the, the team has changed a lot I mean yeah it felt like that 2010 team you look at the, the lineup. obviously I guess standoff jumps out but that's been an issue for Scotland you know if you don't have Apart from one standoff, effectively, you know, maybe Hastings is going to come through, but we've really only had one standoff you really thought could make a difference to games. We've had guys who could do a particular role or, you know, had kind of particular strengths, but, you know, Russell's been the only player we've had in that position who you kind of you thought, my, this is like a game changer. But, you know, back in 2010, they had a good team playing around. You know, they had centres, they had back three players who could, you know, had good scrum half, they had a decent front row. You know, that back row, and it, it felt like they underachieved, particularly that 2010 tournament. And like you said, it just kind of it kind of faded off from there rather than, you know, building up to something special. And it ended up, you know, with, you know, Andy Robinson, you know, quitting after losing to Tonga at home, you know, which was just, you know, pretty shambolic at that stage. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, the numbers say definitely things have improved since then. You know, the, 
in terms of you know we couldn't score tries at that point. You know we can kind of score tries for fun now. Um, you feel like you've got a lot more depth in the squad. You feel like there's a more consistent production line of young players coming through. Um, you know there's there's good opportunities. You know being able to bring in some of these young guys. You know Scott Cummins breaking through, Darcy Green breaking through, and that just feels like it's more consistent. You know I know we still have got you know poaches if you want to call them that. You know guys are going to qualify in residency, but it felt like there was a period, you know, 10, 15 years ago where that's really all we were looking for. We were just trying to go around the world looking for as many different players as we could. Now it feels like we can actually produce at least the bulk of our squad is going to be homegrown. They're going to come through the Glasgow and Edinburgh systems. They're going to be brought up in that kind of Scottish rugby ethos, the way you know Scottish rugby wants to play. Um so I think things have definitely moved on, but you, you look at that team and you, you understand the risk that even when you've got good players there, if you don't kind of pull it all together, if you're not all pulling in the right direction, it can it can go wrong and it, it can go wrong pretty quickly um, and things can kind of turn against you. So you have to take advantage of the, the kind of strength and depth we've got at the minute and, and really push on to, to start winning more consistently against the likes of Wales and Ireland. Um, and that's really what they've got to be aiming for. But it's possible, but you're kind of you feel like you're almost at a crossroads right now. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, you look at the the pro teams, John, and maybe that the the kind of, particularly with Glasgow, I think, because 2010 was kind of the around the start of it. Cause you had Sean Lanine in charge yeah. of Glasgow, and they you know they finished the 2009-2010 season in third in the table, and you've got Sean Lanine as coaching and Al Kellogg as as captain, it's all. I mean, yeah. they were playing at Far Hill, admittedly, but um, you know, it can't all be perfect. But <laughs> it's um, it's interesting, isn't it, that 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 kind of was almost the the, the start of um, things for Glasgow, I guess. Yeah, it was, and uh, actually, just looking at the the list of you know, looking at the Scotland squad for the twenty ten Six Nations, and you know, just looking at the players that Glasgow Warriors had listed at that point against it you know you, you had your Tom Evans your Max Evans you you had obviously Dan Parks was uh, uh, was scoring bazillions of points for Glasgow at that point um, Kellogg as well was there you had Barkley Brown was there you you did have it, it was the start of Glasgow believing they could you know because I think the previous season to that they'd finished bottom or second bottom or you know got absolutely cuffed so it did seem to be a real turning point for for the club game at at Glasgow and and there was more ambition Um, I I think from a Scotland perspective again you, you know you've pointed out there was some very good players in that team but uh, it's it's the centres that jump out at me, you know. <laughs> ben Cairns, Nick DeLuca, Max Evans, Alex Grove, Graham Morrison. You're never going to do well at international level if you don't have better centres than that, frankly. And no, no disrespect. I mean, I think Max Evans was probably the pick of that bunch, but... Um, the rest of them were not were not international class players, and it was. Indicative. I think Sean uh, Lamont ended up playing in the centre not long after that, uh, which was indicative of how much we were struggling in that position. 
Yeah, I mean, I will, just for the record, uh, the season after Glasgow ended up eleventh, uh, ah. five points, five points below Benetton in their first season in the Pro Pro Twelve. Um, but they well, did. That was they beginner's did, luck. They made the semi final the year after. In all fairness, um, Ian, I mean, maybe maybe Ember have been a bit more of a mixed bag. I mean, they were. I mean, they had Rob Moffat as coach back in twenty ten. Um, they've maybe uh, only. More, I mean, they've, they've they've certainly had flirtations with Europe. Um, but but it's only kind of the last couple of seasons under Richard Cockrell that they started to kind of maybe get some consistency together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think sort of both sides. Well, I think Glasgow have maybe been more. Well, Glasgow have been more consistent. There's no doubt in that. Um, but it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster because obviously they made the um, Heineken Cup semis in 2012, wasn't it? Uh, but sort of domestically, um, if you can call the Pro 12 the domestic division. It's it's very much been a mixed bag for them. Uh, usually, a, a pretty poor bag. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they they do seem to be improving now with Cockrell. Uh, we've talked about their how they seem to be improving their strength and depth, and you know they've they've recruited very shrewdly in the last couple of years. Um, so yes, yeah, they they're probably in the ascendancy just now. Uh, obviously, they had the. I mean, Alan, I think Alan Solomon's his first year there. They did okay, but then. Then things kind of swiftly dropped off, um, and then the, the season when Duncan Hodge was in and in, in charge, uh, that was that was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, I'm looking at the 2011-12 Pro, uh, Pro 12 season, and it's amazing that that Embra somehow managed to end up 11th despite the fact that Tim Visser was top try scorer. <laughs> that's a very that's probably the most Edinburgh thing I've ever seen um, in terms of then I mean I'll, I'll start with you Kevin Scotland's most most important player I went with Finn Russell and I think you've touched upon it I think that's it's maybe unfair of me to have chosen Finn Russell and, and a bit like with my Jamie Ritchie selection because people could point to Stuart Hogg and, and the way he came through and, and the way that kind of seemed to really ignite Scotland's try scoring record at the same time but like you said, it's not really been until we've had Finn Russell that we've really been able to kind of have any sort of creative game plan. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's been the, the kind of difference maker. Yeah, it, it's a kind of thing, it's a continuing theme, I think, with Scottish players and you don't seem to get guys who want to come through as decision makers as much. Um, you know, you don't get as many tens and fullbacks as you would really like to be producing. Um, you know, guys with that either confidence, arrogance, or, you know, what Finn's got where he's just kind of so spaced out he doesn't care, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. You need that kind of attitude to take it on because it's there's so much attention on you. You know, you, everything you do is under the microscope. You know, there's no hidden work that you, you, know, you do as a, a forward where, you know, a lot of the stuff you, you do doesn't get seen. Everything you do as a 10 gets seen. And I think Scottish players maybe, you know, even as they're, they're younger, they kind of shy away from that. They're maybe not quite... You know, confident enough. I don't think we produce too many who are that kind of gallus like Finn. Um, and I think maybe if we could try and build some players with more confidence at a younger age, then you might get more decision makers coming through. But yeah, at the moment, he's so connectional to what we want to do. And I think at least now you kind of feel like you're maybe starting to get a backup there with Hastings. But you know, Russell is the kind of the most irreplaceable element of that Scotland team. Um, I mean, there's other guys who've made, you know, big difference. I mean, I think, you know, WP Nell um, has really kind of solidified the scrum. I mean, I think there was 
a couple of seasons there where you had Nail and Dickinson and, and Harness and, and Scotland scrum, scrum was a, an absolute weapon. You know, I mean, they were, you know, winning penalties for fun. You know, there was a game against Italy when we played them in Rome and we just kind of took, you know, that was the basis of the, the victory, was just taking them apart in the scrum. So I think he's made a big difference, you know, as a kind of anchor in the scrum from kind of 2015 onwards. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's difficult to look past, you know, Russell has been so crucial um, to, to what Scotland are doing at the minute. Yeah. Um, Ian, who have you gone for? Aside from, I think we'd give, say Finn Russell's a given. Who have you gone for? Um, uh, I'll go with John Barkley. Because um, obviously, um, obviously there was those couple of years when he was cast aside. Uh, but, you know, for uh, Scotland now sort of do this dual open side system that, that Australia seemed to popularise when they were picking Pocock and Hooper together um, and uh, you know he was what's his sort of captain you know got a, a really good sort of winning record as a captain um, just a really canny operator I think the sort of closest thing Scotland could get to, to a Richie McCaw uh, kind of player um, very clever uh, you know he was in and around the international setup for like 15 years apart from that two year gap obviously uh, and you know, just a you know a, ve- a very very shrewd player, um, and uh, a good captain. I think he was a very good leader. Yeah, I think I think you're in. You're right. That the, the two years almost shows what an important player he he was for Scotland because that was the time when um, Scott Johnson and then even to a certain extent Vern Cotter insisted on playing with three sixes inexplicably across the back <laughs> row, and it it was almost kind of forced upon Vern Cotter in the 2015 World Cup to play with. Uh, he went with Cow- it was Cowan and Hardy, Cowan didn't he? And Hardy, yeah. And it was forced upon him because of selections, and it and it it worked very effectively. And Scotland have never really looked back since then in terms of having, you know, playing with two two fetches, even if you got that kind of hybrid six seven. But it, it's I think that kind of the absence of John Barkley almost kind of proves <laughs> his worth more than anything. Uh, John, who have you gone for? So. I, I I totally agree with the the shouts that have been made so far, but uh, this uh, young gentleman was mentioned earlier on in the podcast. I've I went for Sean Maitland. Um, I think it was a, around the same time uh, that Maitland got capped that that Visser was kind of qualifying. Um, but for me, Maitland gave Scotland a confidence that they could score tries. Um, at that point, it was kind of out of nothing. Um, and that you know we we didn't have your Finn Russells um, putting Scotland in good positions to score tries, so we were relying on flair for guys like Maitland, uh, and he he brought a confidence to that backline. And I, I remember watching kind of watching Scotland at the time, and I actually believed we could score tries because he was playing, um, and I'm sure I was I'm sure I wasn't the only fan who thought that, and I'm sure the players maybe took a bit of kind of confidence from that, knowing they've got this guy who looks like he's running in treacle, but is actually rapid, has <laughs> a, you know, has a fabulous rugby brain on him. And is just, he's just a quality operator. You know, having, having a guy like that line up beside you, it just, it does fill you with a bit of confidence and it, it, it kind of drags up, you know, for, for me, at Glasgow, it kind of dragged up the standard of what we expected from a, from a um, a winger, um, so for me, yeah, he's he's kind of been the the man. I'm glad he's made it all the way to 2019 as well. You know, it's, he's he's done well. Yeah, yeah. Good. I would, good. I would like to see. 
Oh, sorry, um, but uh, yeah, I would just like to say that you know I think when Maitland retires, the SRU should do everything in their power to get him in the coaching setup. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he seems fairly well settled up up in the northern hemisphere. So there's, you know, I, I don't think he's. Uh, it'd be good to kind of keep him around. I think I, I saw um, Rob Robertson was making a shout for the same with John Barkley, given what Sam, you know the, the Wales are kind of using Sam Warburton. I think Scotland have used Kelly Brown over the last couple of seasons, and I think there is a, yeah. a lot to be said about retaining these guys and, 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 and keeping them around to bring, you know, if they're not going to keep playing, at least bring in the next, help bringing the next generation through and talking them through kind of what, what has and hasn't worked for them in the past. Um, we'll go on to do, we're going to do a, a hands, we're going to do a regular feature, which is hands in the ruck, but I'm doing it for the whole of, whole of the, the, the ten, the tenties or the tennies. Um, Ian, I'll start with you. Have you gone with Ben Skeen? Has Ben Skeen been your hands in the for the whole of the 2010s? <laughs> um, the, the latter part, certainly. Uh, yeah. So Do you want to pay tribute had... to him now he's retired? Oh, well, we've had, I was going to say, we've had a couple of sad retirements recently. Uh, that one. I've actually, I'm sitting here with a big grin on my face. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's people... I mean, that's, you know, I started a sort of parody account, but I kept on on Twitter, but I kept on missing the games he was watching, and then I'd go on to look, and I'm like, oh wait, everyone on Twitter's already ripping to shreds. I can't, <laughs> I can't make, make fun of him anymore. Everyone else is already doing it for me. Um, yeah, I mean, let's just be honest, he was incompetent. Um, some some of the errors he made were just. I mean, he's got. In terms of the officials, right? Now, sometimes we give officials stick, but he's got the easiest job out of a lot of them, and he. How can you arse up watching a replay? Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's just unreal. I mean, that, that, that Fraser Brown try against Fiji, he was he watched that like five or six times. He was deliberately trying to find a reason not to award the try. And from the first two angles, you see, you're like, right, he's in possession of the ball, he's grounded it fine. Why are you watching it again and again? Um, so yeah, so or maybe maybe Eddie Jones, Ben Skeen and Eddie Jones, because I just don't like the cut of Eddie Jones's chip. Yeah. Uh, so they're my I've, my hands on the rock for twenty ten. 2010, for the tw- whole of the 2010s. The, the whole decade. whole decade. Kevin, what's been your decade-long hands in the ruck? Uh, I think that, that Wales game at the start of 2010. Um, <laughs> it's still I hard just, to get over, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, it probably should have realised at that point, just switched rugby off for the next 10 years, you know. I just, um, I just, it was one of those games where it was so Scottish to kind of get your hopes up and then crush you. And not just crush you with the result, but then you know, take out some some quality players, some guys who you thought could really you know do something special. So, um, yeah, I think that was the point. You maybe should have realised this is not going to be our decade in terms of Scottish, you know, the Scotland team. Um, you know, I've had some 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 highs at least with with Glasgow um, winning the, uh, the the Pro Twelve and, and Pro Fifteen, but yeah, that was the start to the decade, and yeah, it's it's been up and down, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great way to kick things off. No, and I suppose midway through as well, you've got, in fact, you've probably got a heartbreak um, <laughs> at the start, middle, and the end. So you, you start with the 2010 game against Wales. Midway through 2015, we've got the quarterfinal exit to Australia. <laughs> and then this year, end the decade with a loss to Japan. And yeah, I guess it's yeah, being a Scotland fan, it's just getting punched in the guts, really. Constantly, <laughs> but, yeah, and and Twickenham, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah, there was that absolute drubbing at Twickenham, of course, yeah. Uh, and and getting the draw, which was also good. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. 
<laughs> John, what have you got for your uh, decade long um, hands in the ruck? So, I have had, I've had lots of hands hands in the ruck over this decade, but uh, I, I went for something a bit more topical. Um, I've went with the continued mistreatment of Pacific Island rugby players um, mm-hmm. by European clubs. Um, I, I thought we were better than this, uh, frankly, and, you know, I... I I've had a lot of abuse over the last year about the whole hashtag rugby values nonsense, right? Um, that starts right at the top, and it starts with these these clubs that are taking guys, exploiting them, and you know, obviously, we've we've just seen a, a perfect example of what is just a madcap French owner doing ridiculously stupid things to one of the best players in the world but you know it's a pacific islander and they continue to be mistreated they continue to be um used and abused by owners across the world and it's it's an absolute disgrace that we're still talking like this in 2019 yeah I think it's, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very fair point. And you, you look, I mean, a lot of the stuff that doesn't go under, you know, make the big news, but, but it's still reported. Like that, you know, there's a guy that kind of was left stranded in Romania who's played for Romania. It's not just the big teams that are doing it. It's, you know, yeah, some of the, yeah, yeah. the lower league teams. Is a, I think a Tongan player got stranded in hospital in um, Romania, and the club just kind of like left him there with some kidney problems. And it's not, yeah, the whole thing is deeply unedifying. I think it's been a at least one suicide in France of for, for, yeah, for there was, yeah. that lad that was missing, just missing his family. And yes, the whole thing is deeply unsatisfactory. And I think it's just it's something that we need to keep talking about. I think yeah, I think it's that that that's the unfortunate thing about it, until unless people keep talking about it, nothing's going to change. Yeah, and I think I think. From from a positive perspective, I think we should be incredibly proud of the environment that the Scottish pro clubs have created for yep. for the Pacific Islanders who've come over here. We talked about this last night, um, last you know, week, last week. Well, I think we've already that curtain is way pulled back <laughs> by now, buddy. Um, unless you're trying to do some magic editing, which you'll be up to like six in the morning getting this edited um yeah the the scottish clubs have created a really a very very supportive environment for these guys and that is not the case across the world um which which is yeah it's a real shame yeah but at least from our point of view i suppose you've got a selling point which is come to us we can't afford to pay you the world but we'll, we'll, we'll give you a decent living and we'll We'll not play in the ground, and we'll release you for international games. Which... Well, we'll let you go home to build a house. Yeah, if you want to go and build a house in Fiji, take as long as you want after the World <laughs> Cup. Back in time for the eighteen seventy two Leone. That's all we ask. Um, yeah, for your keen entrance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've gone with the Lions. That's been my hands oh, in the ruck yes. for a decade long hands in the ruck. Um, it was uh, Kevin. I think you you gave me this stat for when we were doing the stat event calendar, which is Tom Smith is the last. Scotland player to start a, a, a Lions test since two thousand and one, back in two thousand and one. That's a crazy. I know we've. I know we were absolutely dire from about two thousand and two onwards. But there's been some. There have been some good Scotland players since then. That you know, particularly. I mean, you know, even looking at it, you know, we've had two Lions tours since twenty ten. Um, you know, admittedly we had forty on the two thousand and nine one. So, um, but 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 still, I just think it, it's. I get the arguments that Gatlin makes, which is one, it's proven combinations and also that he wants guys that are used to playing in winning environments and blah, 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 blah. But I think in terms of the spirit of the Lions and what the Lions is supposed to represent, it's 
it's it's it's unfair that you would go three tests without starting at least one Scottish player and I don't think any of the Scottish players that have been on the tour would have weakened any of the positions had they been put in for a starting slot. I still think we would have won the lap where we... So there's the thing, the whole generation of Scotland fans are completely disillusioned with the Lions. I think the Lions would have won if Greg Laidlaw had been on the bench in that last last game. Can you imagine his game management with those players around him? Just imagine he could have seen that game out. I I think you could probably go back to, you know, um, the, um, the previous... Tour as well with um, with Reed. Uh, no, with Reed. Sorry, with um, uh, Ryan Grant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and looking at, at Michael Vunipola getting absolutely moored. And and you know anyone that's making an argument that he was a better player than Ryan Grant at that point in time under those laws is absolutely off the rocker and doesn't understand rugby. Yeah. Was it Graham Rowntree that was the coach and he said, I, "I I don't know you. I don't know how you play." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's just absolutely. I mean that's just not doing your job properly. That's yeah. ridiculous. It's called YouTube, mate. Go on. Yeah. And I'm not. You know, I don't think anybody would argue that Richie Gray was better than Alan Munjo's or Paul O'Connell at the time. But I don't think he would have weakened the lock position had he started at least one of the three tests. No. At all at that. You know, given given Richie Gray's form at the time. So, yeah, I I, I don't see anything changing for this next tour to South Africa. Sadly. Um, and I don't. I think at that point. It's probably too late for a lot of people to 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 get get back some magic in the lines. I think at that point, I think very few Scotland fans will have any feel like they've got any skin skin in the game at all. Yep. Um, and I think at that point, unfortunately, then it just falls along political lines, which is is deeply unsatisfying. Um, as to whether people, you know, you start getting accused of whether you feel people get into whether they feel British or not, which is which isn't what it should be about. It's a sport sports team. They're supposed to represent the, you know, the Britain and Ireland. You know, it's not even it's not even the British lines. It's the British and Irish lines. We could start uh, doing it in a truly democratic way, and actually, rather than the coach picking the team, we could do a nationwide poll and have it like be a sort of year long X Factor style edition. Where we, you know, we just we we kind of work our way through public vote the whole way, and we'll see what we end up with. If if the Six Nations has shown us anything, it's that we are better at voting than any other country, given the fact that Stuart Hogg won Player of the Tournament exactly two exactly, years on the trot, yeah. and that was nothing other than just 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 um, a, a well organised public voting system. <laughs> it was got... it was it was the second best, second greatest public swell. Of voting since Rage Against the Machine got uh, number one at Christmas, I would argue um, since Bell and Sebastian beat Steps to Best British Newcomer at the, uh, <laughs> the Brit Awards <laughs> in the late nineties. There you go. Oh, no. On that note, that is it from us for twenty nineteen. Possibly, if we get a chance to get together over the Christmas period and take a look at the eighteen seventy two matches, we will do. But uh, we'll have to lay off the eggnog long enough to be able to speak coherently. Um, but for now, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We'll get you on again sometime. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, Merry Christmas uh, from me, and it's a Happy New Year from Kevin, Ian and John. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Is this how our five Dundee FSHP 
Brought in RFC Barrick, our top of National 3. Open your eyes, there's no rugby club on Sky to see. Greg's uncle's called Roy, he played in the 80s with John Rutherford and Steve Munro, not Peter Horn or Kieran Lowe. Anyway, the fin blows, doesn't really matter to me, to me. Scotland, lost in Japan, completely lost the head. Dodson got fined for what he said. Mish goes off on a run, beats 15 defenders on the way. Mish. We love to watch you fly Bounding off the opposition Like a pinball Carry on, carry on As if nothing really matters Tommy your time has come Sent shivers down our spine When you went running down the line Goodbye John Barkley You've got to go Gotta leave it all behind Not fade away Maitland Please don't retire We're looking a little bit thin now at the back I see a little silhouette of John Horn. Honey toe, honey toe, we love you and Adam Hastings. Jamie Ritchie fighting, very, very frightening me. Honey toe, honey toe, honey toe, honey toe, honey toe, on you go, magnifico. I'm just Hugh Jones, nobody loves me. He's just Hugh Jones, nobody will pick him. Please him at once from this monstrosity. Leicester come, Stormers go, will you let me go? Oh, Hugh Jones, no, we will not let you go. Let me go. Oh, Hugh Jones, we will not let you go. Let me go. Oh, Hugh Jones, we will not let you go. Let me go. We will not let you go. Let me go. We will not let you go. Let me go. No, 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 no. Dave Rennie, Dave Rennie, Dave Rennie, let me go. Oh, Mark Dodson has the devil put aside for me. For me. For me!
so you think you can stop Darcy Graham in full flight? He will step you and burn you and leave you to die. Oh, Shumi. Just can't wait for you, Schumann. Just gotta get Scots. Just gotta get Scots qualified. Calcutta Cup really matters, anyone can see. The Calcutta Cup really matters, only the Calcutta Cup really matters to me. Anyway, the thing blows.